I am delighted with our missions conference today and the missionaries who are with us. And after the preaching of the word, we're going to ask those missionaries to come down. We're going to have prayer with and for them. I'm also delighted that my friend John Lasondak is bringing the word of the Lord. And what wonderful texts for morning and for evening. Uh, what, uh, what a feast to dwell upon the Lord high and exalted and the Lord to whose chariot wheel we, we uh, have by grace um, been attached. Our missionary to Slovakia, Mission to the World, John Lasondak, we honor the servant, but we praise God who gives the gift of the preaching of his word. John. Good morning. It is indeed an honor to be here this morning with you to open up the Word of God. I feel so small for the task. I, I, I have to ask so many times, who is equal to such a task, to approach such a, such a text as this, that God is so lifted up and high and holy? Uh, who can really say words that will do that? And my prayer has been that God will do it for himself this morning, for his own name's sake. I want to read the passage again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts, And thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. 
Who will go for us? That is a great question. These are perilous times. Whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. Have you not noticed? The wrath of God, nevertheless, is being poured out against all the godlessness and wickedness of men and women who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And yet, the question stands, who will go for us and stand in the gap? The spirit of the age is at work in all men. The global economic crisis and expansion of Islam has spanned a world of cynicism, despair, fear, and the blame game. Increasingly, nationalistic movements have gained strength, fueling hate and calling for corrective measures. In such an environment, the question stands, who will go for us? Meanwhile, the overfed and unconcerned have unwittingly bred an army of liberal activists and their policies. And yet the question remains, who is equal for such a task? Who will go for us? Our times are not so unlike the times of Isaiah. Uh, In chapter 5, we see that Isaiah pronounces six woes. Uh, We see what people are doing, what are the times, what are people about. Not so unlike our own times. One woe says in verse 8, people are adding house to house, joining field to field. That means they're living in isolation, secluded, private lives, fenced in, private, not actually being the people who are to be a blessing to all the world. It says they were early drinkers, late night party animals, always time for a party, you know, but no time for godly deeds in his name. They were fearless, haughty mockers. We see that they called on God to, uh, come on, bring it on. We have no fear. Do your work. Fearless. They called evil good and good evil. I see that all the time. All around me I read about it. They were clever and wise in their own eyes. They were heroes at drinking wine, champions at mixing drinks, acquitting the guilty at the same meetings, denying justice to the guilty. That means they were having power cocktail meetings, planning on how to run the scenario and the day and and their environment. That was the kind of environment that Isaiah was in. We read in our passage that it was in the year that King Uzziah died, that Isaiah had his vision. Who was Uzziah? He was a godly king early on. He did right in the sight of the Lord. He sought the Lord. He was instructed by an excellent teacher, Zechariah, in the ways of the fear of the Lord. 
He was a bit of a reformer. He tore down the walls of some of the high places where people worshipped idols. And as he did that, the Bible says his fame spread. He followed that up with building towers, increasing, growing, expanding with vineyards and livestock. He had a huge standing army. None of these things wrong in and of themselves. None of them. But the scripture says, after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. In his pride, he decided to go into the temple and light incense on the altar of incense. And the priest tried to help him, get him out, usher him out, encourage him. This is not good. You should not be doing this. And he began to rail at the priests and shout at them and tell them about his authority and how great he was. And in the midst of it, leprosy broke out on his forehead and everybody stood back. God had pronounced the judgment on him. They ushered him out quickly, and he left happily at that point, but it did not help. He stayed a leper till the day of his death, isolated, removed, unclean, no longer the great, powerful Uzziah. It was in that year, when Uzziah died, that Isaiah had his vision. God, in all of his holiness and majesty, majestic, exalted, not like Uzziah, not like anybody, high, seated on a throne, his train filled the temple. What a sight. In those days, kings had long robes, but they had trains that filled up the temple, and it just shows that he was absolutely sovereign, powerful, and ruling. None like him. Isaiah saw all this. And that wasn't all. Not only did he see the high and holy king lifted up, but he saw seraphs flying to and fro and calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of his glory. Everything at the sound of their voice trembled. I once saw a picture of Mount St. Helens blowing up. The picture was taken probably 25 miles away. Some people just happened to be on another mountaintop looking out at it, just amazed at the view when it blew its top off. But the sight of the smoke, thick smoke, blowing out the top of that mountain, the next frame shows them, and it wasn't a shock blast, knocked down, sitting in pure awe of such a sight. It just overwhelmed them. Something like that, something of that magnitude was before the prophet Isaiah. Smoke filled the temple. 
and the Lord God is seated on his throne. Only sovereigns and judges sat on thrones in those days. And God, our God, is both sovereign and a judge. And he is sending Isaiah to be his emissary. Now, I only know one other scene in the scriptures that parallels this. It's in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. I like to hear ruffling. It's a good sign. Chapter 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell gave up their dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus once said, many will say to me on that day, our God, our Savior, is also the judge. And on that day, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we, didn't we? And they will name their works the things they trusted in, the things they accomplished in this life, the things that they thought, this is going to get me off the hook because this is not the time to mess around. I just saw where some people are going. I better give it my best shot. I cast out demons in your name. I did miracles in your name. I prophesied in your name. And he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. But that's then. And we're not there yet. But the warnings for us today, the words of the prophet are for us today. When you see the Lord God Almighty in his holiness, we cry out, Woe is me, I am ruined. Like Job said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. It doesn't stop there. If it was, we'd all be in trouble, for there's none who doeth good. No, not one. There's none of us who, if God counts our iniquities against us, can stand. There's nobody, none of us. 
But the purpose of the vision is not to destroy us. It is not to be the end of us. It is not to declare judgment upon us at that time. But it is to bless us, to warn us, to purify us, to change us, to make us sober-minded, to be prepared, to be ready, to be sent, to ask, can I go for you? It's to get us ready for that. And so like with Job and Isaiah, he, re- he appears in order to bless us. Yes, Isaiah sees, I have fallen short of the glory of God. Who am I? What am I? I have nothing to bring to the table. I'm short. I can't even speak properly. But God so loved is never sacrificed to his holiness. They go hand in hand. It was God's electing love that predestined us to be holy and blameless in his sight. So far from destroying ruined Isaiah, he sends a seraph with a live coal from the altar. That altar, of course, is where it represents the work of Christ, the atoning work where Jesus went to the cross and every sin that you and I have ever committed, everything we've ever been, was put on Jesus. And he suffered the wrath of God for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become covered with his blood's righteousness and accomplishment and be purified and stand before him. And this is our story and this is our song as believers. It is an amazing truth that even though we, like Isaiah, feel undone, we do not have to hear that as our last words, but God himself has supplied a lamb for us. Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he said, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, he had mercy upon me, so that he might display in me his unlimited patience to those who would be saved and be given eternal life. God is almighty, holy, beyond words, a thrice holy God. And yet he is both just and justifier. And through his son, he removes our guilt. And we are amazed. I know what I deserve. And this is not just once. This is every day, every year of our life. All of our life, we are amazed. God has not treated me as my sins deserved. He has not rewarded me according to my iniquities. God is so gracious and merciful and compassionate. 
And when that happens to us, when we see who God is, and he has said of himself, this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. We don't need to fear God's coming to us and breaking us. We do not need to run away and hide in the bushes. I was afraid. I heard your voice. No. Listen to him. I live in a high and holy place, but also I live with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse forever, nor will I always be angry, for then the spirit of man would grow faint before me and the breath of man that I have created. I was enraged by his sinful greed. I punished him, and I hid my face in anger. He kept on in his willful ways, and I have seen his ways. What comes next? But I will heal him. I will guide him, restore him, comfort to him. I will create praise on his lips. That's what happened to Isaiah. He saw his own self, as one said, like a mouse cornered. And God says, send a coal to him immediately. And the seraph went and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Christ said on the cross, It is finished. To Tetelestai, the debt has been paid. He paid all of our guilt down. It is finished. When that happens to you, and I don't know when that happens to you, I don't know where in your life you think back and say, when has God done this to me? When did God back me in my corner and confront me with his holiness? Has that happened to you? Have you become ruined, crying out to God? Have you come to the end of your rope of your life, down in your soul, down on your bed at night, or in your workplace, or in your family, or in your community? Have you come to the place where you've felt ruined and empty? And take hope. Listen to how God speaks. His perfection has its effect upon us always. The more we see of it, the more it has an impact upon us. But at the same time, he knows our frame. He knows we are weak. He knows we need him. 
and he himself sovereignly heals. When that happens, and the Lord God shows you, see, your guilt is taken away. What's to say? And if you heard the voice of God, if you overheard him say, who will go for us? If you hear him in this conference, if you read this, but first you hear the question, who will go for us? Be careful before you answer. Because as I read in the beginning, it's not a safe world. It's not a welcoming armed world. Yes, that's not where we live. But God asks. He asks every single one in this room. In your context, where you live and move, the people you know, maybe your family, maybe your workplace, maybe your school, maybe your circle of friends. It's not just abroad. Who will go for us? Who will exhibit my unlimited patience? I was patient with you. I forgave you. Who will go for us? Who will represent me like that? And that's why Isaiah sees what he sees, because he needs to be prepared. He needs to see what God has done for him, how much he has done for him, how patient in the midst of, in the, in the very presentation of his life. And, and I'm sure Isaiah took a moment and just saw, without even detailing, I am so other. But when I now hear him ask, the one who forgave me of all my debt, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The natural, fast response is, here am I. Of course, if you haven't been forgiven much, you can't love much, Jesus said. And then that one of our problems. We haven't been forgiven of very much. Well, I was bad, but I'm better. I didn't used to go to church, and now I do, every Sunday. That's not bad, but that will never, never get you to go where you need to go and where he wants to send you and be what he wants you to be in that context. You will look other people in the face, and you will cower. I was once recently with some very wealthy people, and they were uh, allowing me to be in their presence. And I listened to them, and I watched, and they said, you know, isn't it dangerous for you? Aren't you afraid of dying? 
And I said, well, I think you have something far worse to be afraid of than me. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, well, don't you worry about death. It's probably not anything that's going to happen to you. You have something that's crouching at your door that is far more deadly than death. It's called shame. Because for you, you have built your life around prestige and honor and accomplishment and wealth and all the symbols that say you've arrived and you are. And in all of your arness, it will attack you at every phase of your life. You will be ashamed to lose face and be what God wants you to be in your context. Because he calls us to go where he sends us. And where he sends us, well, it just might catch us off guard. But wherever we go, whatever our context is, whatever he wants, wherever it is, having been forgiven by such a gracious God, how can I say anything else except here am I? Send me. And what if he does? Then speak the praiseworthy deeds of God. Don't keep them back in your context, in your culture, in your family, with your peers, your fathers, your fathers, your children. Honor God with all of your substance. Honor him, the sovereign God who has called you, knowing you by name, knowing your whole history and your whole life, Still, he comes to you to forgive you, to save you because you're a sinner, that he might exhibit his grace in you. Yes. Tonight, we want to really dig in to the sending. Where does he send us? How does he send us? Why does he send us? I want to look at some very amazing truths. But the most amazing truth is that everything God has for us came to us in grace and mercy, full of love, and totally effective. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I have a message, I have a story. I must tell it to people. Here am I. Send me. Let's pray. Father and God, Savior, thank you so much that before the world was even created, you chose to make me and your people holy and blameless in your sight. Through your work and for your glory. And it has pleased you to take sinners 
and change them, to make them share in the precious task of taking the gospel, this good news, to a world that does, is not looking for it, is hostile, and yet marked with the elect all throughout. We thank you, God, for your grace and pray that you would enable us to examine our hearts, confess our sins, and hear your great forgiveness in your Son, your words of mercy, and your question, who will go for us? Lord, enable us to not miss your great invitation and to be filled with your spirit and to accomplish your ends. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.